0: When you enrich the lives of your employees through purpose-powered leadership, they'll grow your business for you. Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where you'll discover how to champion a culture of courage and love. Stop dealing with symptoms and get to the root of the problems in your business. This is the Higher Purpose Podcast with your host, Kevin Monroe. It's Kevin Monroe, and I want to welcome you to Episode 65 of the Higher Purpose. Purpose Podcast. I'm so grateful that you showed up here today and thank you for inviting me into your life. I don't take that for granted now and don't ever plan to either. From time to time, I like to mix it up and do something different. This is one of those episodes. Let's call this a Faith at Work conversation on the Higher Purpose Podcast. If you know me, you know that faith motivates and informs hopefully everything I do, including this podcast. But this podcast is not explicitly religious or Christian. I do realize that it's impossible, at least for me, to seriously discuss or explore higher purpose and not touch on the transcendent. The backstory to today's conversation. A few months ago, I received a book. It was unsolicited, and the publisher asked if I'd consider a conversation with the author. I looked at the book, and honestly, I set it aside because I wasn't sure how to handle or respond to it at the time. Then there was one of those sleepless nights back in August. I got up around three or four on a Sunday morning, August 12th to be exact, and that book, The Business of Honor was calling my name. So I picked it up. Honestly, I was somewhat skeptical at that moment, and I began reading. What I read connected with me on such a deep level and provoked me to respond and explore having the author, Bob Hassan join me. Now, Bob has had this amazing journey, 40 years in the same business, Hassan Inc., a commercial paint contractor. Now in recent years Bob's also launched into leadership and culture consulting and he's now an author. Bob Hassan, what a joy to welcome you to the Higher Purpose podcast. We are honored to have you join us today.
1: Well, Kevin, thank you so much. I'm I'm honored to be here and I can't wait to spend time chatting with you.
0: Yeah. Well, Bob for about the last two months now, every conversation I've had on the podcast, I've grounded it in gratitude. So what is something you are grateful for at this moment?
1: The Lord found me 42 years ago, hmm. and I've been serving him. I've been married to this incredible woman, Lauren, for we just celebrated our 30-year anniversary. And I have four amazing kids. And so I am super grateful for my family, and for the Lord bringing me to this
0: place. All right. And then you and I had a pre-conversation last week, and I know you also have grandchildren, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, I've got a six-month-old grandson, so this is a new thing for me.
0: Yeah, well, we apologize to the children, but once you have grandchildren, they top the list in gratitude. No. (laughs) (laughs) I heard Dave Ramsey say one time, if I'd have known how fun grandchildren would be, I, I would have been nicer to my kids. So. Oh. <laughs> if, if this is someone's first time meeting you, and probably it is for a lot of people, what's something you feel is important for us to know about you that helps us to connect
1: with you? Well, I operate a business. I'm a painting contractor, and I've operated that business for 40 years, and we have turned into a mature company over the years. I've got a great team here with me and I'm used to being behind the scenes. So (laughs) I would say that I do a lot of consulting work and I'm behind the scenes, I'm gonna keep saying that. And my friend, Danny Silk asked me, rather tricked me into (laughs) writing a book with him. And so since this book came out in December, I have been not so behind the scenes anymore. This is a new place for me to be in. It's outside of my wheelhouse. But I did say yes to the Lord. And so here I am.
0: All right. So outside the wheelhouse, outside the comfort zone that you've known for so many years and years ago, I, I don't know who said it originally or wrote it, but, you know, growth occurs outside the comfort zone. So since you wrote the book, you've had the opportunity to do things like this, be on podcasts and do presentations and talk about the book. And folks, the book we'll talk about a little later, but that's why we use the word honor coming in. The title of the book is The Business Of honor. And we're going to get to that in a few moments. But before we do, I want to ask Bob at this point. So you've had this amazing journey. Oh, and when we talk about this paint company, this started out in a small, just painting houses, but it's quite a mammoth operation today, right? What are some of the big projects you've recently completed?
1: Well, in 1978, I started in a 64 Volkswagen Bug the surf racks on it to carry the ladders and painting bathrooms and living rooms, et cetera, et cetera.
0: You do have some pictures of that somewhere, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. That's (laughs)
0: that's really classic in the Hassan Inc. Hall of Fame is to see those humble beginnings of a Volkswagen bug with racks. Yeah.
1: When I really got big time, I went from that to a 1964 Ford Econoline van. Okay. So... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and then I was a real painter. But at any rate, over the years, we've graduated. And, you know, we do new construction now. And some of the jobs, we do airports, we do resorts, we do stadiums, big industrial commercial stuff.
0: Okay. Yeah. So stadiums and airports and airports like LAX, I think. Yes. Yeah. I mean, really big airports. So that... Yeah. That's probably not what some people think when they first hear painting contractor. They're thinking of somebody they've seen in their hometown that, you know, just paints new houses. But Hassan Inc. is on a much bigger, broader scale, which there's a couple of questions I want to go into in a little bit about that. But at this point on your journey, how do you understand and describe your purpose? And maybe it's even multifaceted now because there's this author consultant side that's emerged.
1: Right. So my day typically is broken up by I'm at the Hassanink offices from the early morning till, you know, either early afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I try to concentrate on all the things that are happening with the company. And the later afternoons into the evening is where I spend time sort of on my philanthropic side and doing things with the book and consulting with people. Okay. So it's interesting that you asked that, you know, after 40 years of building a business, yes, it's still exciting, but, you know, the passion has kind of, is not as uh, deep as it used to be. Where I'm really passionate about is seeing people set free. Mm. and So part of that seeing people set free is using my gift to be able to consult with people and give them courage. I've seen practical miracles over and over and over again and that have to do with business, that have to do with finance, that have to do with leadership and organizational and relational issues. And so that's what really fuels my passion is to see people really begin to come alive in a situation that they did not think it was possible to.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So let's talk about this 40 year journey in business and how you've, Seeing these principles that you talk about in the business of honor become part and parcel of your business and their contribution to your success in business. Where would you like to take us on that journey?
1: Well, when I started painting, I was a new believer. And, you know, I just thought, hey, God is part of my life everywhere I go, whether I go to work, whether I go to church, whether I go home, whether I see friends. And so it became sort of this natural extension of me just bringing my faith everywhere I go. And I'm not saying that I was perfect. As a matter of fact, you know, in my life as a believer, I've made most of my mistakes. So I I certainly understand the grace and mercy of God. And so in this journey, as we grew, I always tried to keep in the forefront the fact that I really was serving God through my efforts at
0: work. Mm-hmm. Which we all can do, right? But before we hit record, we were talking about there was a point in time when that was, you were very outward about that in the early days. And I made the comment, and this is something I'd like to explore with you. This whole idea for, I think when we talk about faith at work, some people see extremes. They see the people that are all show, you know, they wear their religious icons, their cross or whatever that is, for their fish symbol, whatever they have that on their business card, they have it on their trucks and vans, they have it on their website. But then when you interact with them, you think, well, where is that now?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So talk us through that journey with you and you said something earlier that I hope comes out. If not, I'll do. Yes. You.
1: So when I was younger, you know, I had the fish on the websites and I always believed in writing strategic plans and so on my strategic plan right on the cover page was for the glory of God and I would use the scripture. And so I, you know, wanted to be like at the time a good witness Mm -hmm. and I felt like if I plastered all over everything that people will see. And you know, over the years in business as my strategic plans got more complex and more geared towards banks and lending institutions, you know, I got wise counsel from men who are still in my life that maybe it wasn't wasn't the right thing to lead with that. And of course I was like, well, I'm a Christian and I'm, you know, I want everybody to know. And the wise counsel was is people will know by how you act. Yeah. And so over time, you know, as my businesses matured, you know, we do hear comments like why are you guys such a great service company? What sets you apart? We've never, you know, experienced a subcontractor that cares about us mm. as the builder or the owner. Why is that? Mm. And, you know, when I hear those kind of questions, okay, that's sort of an open invitation for me to talk about my belief and my faith.
0: Right. And the fish or the cross comes to life in the conversation rather than just being plastered Mm -hmm. on the website and the business card and the vans. And people have seen something that has led them to say, okay, there's something different here. Tell us about that.
1: Right. And I I know a manufacturing business that manufactures construction materials that has been in business for 50 years. And, you know, on each box of their construction materials, there's the fish and then they have scripture from Luke. And it has worked for them. Mm. I think it's amazing. So.
0: This is just what's worked for me in my process. And, and so that I want to call this out to you listening. This is what's important. There's not just one way for your faith to show up and be expressed through the work you do, whatever that is. But there are multiple ways. But the more important way that Bob and I believe is that people see it in action rather than just see it visually in display, you know, on your website. your boxes. There's nothing wrong with it being on the box, but if that's the only place people see it, people are really asking a different kind of question than the folks that are asking you, Bob. They're they're asking you, why are you doing this? Other people may be going, well, why aren't you a little more kind and compassionate? We thought by what we saw on the truck that when you'd show up, you'd be a little more caring because there was a cross on the truck.
1: So in my life, when, you know, we had those things displayed, I was very cognizant that, hey, I'm out, I'm advertising that I'm a believer and, you know, I need to walk the walk. Yeah. So, and I still do. I, I'm just not advertising.
0: It. Yeah. So I want to ask a couple of other questions, then dive into the book. But there are other ways your faith is expressed through your work. I'm looking at your vision statement now. And let's talk about this. Raising the quality of life for employees and their families by creating an environment where the individual can reach his or her potential and be rewarded for that success. Isn't that great?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every time I read that, I think I want to work for that company. (laughs) Because you know what we're trying to do is bring powerful people into our organization and allow them to be powerful with their opinions. Mm. I'm trying to create a culture here where when I sit at a table and we're discussing an issue everyone at that table is weighing in with their opinions mm. and luckily in creating that environment, we get to a place where even if someone, share something that we're not going to use or might not be germane to the subject. Nobody's belittling them. Nobody's saying that's dumb. That's stupid. Everybody's listening. Okay. And as we come around an issue, we're coming to a team decision where everybody feels part of it. So, you know, raising the quality of life for people to most people means like, Hey, we're going to pay them well. We're going to pay them above industry standard. We're going to give them benefits. And that is part of what we do. But the other part is, is allowing people to feel super confident in the fact that they've been hired because they're the right fit for the job, that we trust them and their opinions, and that we want to hear them.
0: Bob, as I was listening to you, I was taken back to a meeting I was just in yesterday, both a conversation I had with the founder of this tech company, and they were hosting a summit that was a fascinating summit on digital transformation. Okay, so the CEO of this, or the founder of this company, who's now brought in a CEO to replace him, but he said he wanted to create an organization that's just like the one you shared, that people at every level felt empowered and people at any level had the permission to speak up and to give input. And one of the panelists shared something, I haven't fact-checked it yet. Maybe somebody can fact-check it here and let us know if I'm wrong, but the idea that has revolutionized so much of Amazon's business, which is Amazon Prime, was suggested by an engineer. Right. But they had the freedom, the culture, and the permission to bring an idea that wasn't in their department, but it has been revolutionary to their business. And that's the kind of culture you're talking about.
1: Right. So if you're fostering an environment where out of the box thinking is okay, If you're fostering an environment where people can take risks and not get punished, Mm -hmm. if you're fostering an environment where you will listen, I mean, in my opinion, who better to hear about resolution of problems than the people who are in the field, in the trenches, (laughs) and they know what the right answers are.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So to us, we want to always listen to those ideas and
0: suggestions. Absolutely. Okay, so in the history of Hassan, it's there, this business of honor. So then you come to the point where you are invited to co-author a book. And if you could see the uh, visual, Bob and I are on Zoom. So, you know, I put air quotes around co-author because Bob has a story to tell. (laughs) He mentioned it earlier, how it got him from behind the scenes into the spotlight. Right. Right. Yeah, so talk to us about the business of honor. What does that mean? We're seeing it in action at Hassan Inc., this whole idea of honor. You've talked about that. But the contrast, what we see in the culture that's dishonor, that's so common, and why you wrote a book, The Business of Honor.
1: Well, the one thing I want to say is every day I fight and wrestle with myself trying to do the honorable thing. Hmm. So
0: this every day,
1: every day, this notion of a, you know, it's always been this way at our company and always will be. I never want to get isolated. And so I've surrounded myself with men and women who will tell me the truth. And there are times when things aren't going right at work and, you know, I get my hair on my back up and I just want to turn right back into, you know, what, Everyone else is doing in order to try to protect my company. And it's funny, sometimes after I've gone off, you know, and everybody's listened to me, I say to them, Well, hey, you guys are going to do the right thing, right? And they all laugh. Yeah, of course we're going to do the right thing. And I have that sort of a comfort level that even, you know, these guys are going to protect me from me. Yeah. And so what I want to say is, you know, it's getting easier over the years, but it's always a struggle to do the right thing because usually it costs money. Yeah. Or it costs you your ego or it costs you something. You know, if I'm going to come back and say, "Hey, I'm sorry. I was wrong about that. I didn't like the way I handled the situation." Or I tried to make this decision to protect hundreds of thousands of dollars and it wasn't the right decision. You know, I'm sorry. I need to you know, I need to make this thing right. So the notion of honor.
0: Let me just stop a moment and just say, Bob, I commend you for that because that is so real. That's real. We have these aspirations of how we want to lead. And most of us don't live up to our aspirations all the time. And I think the single biggest thing is how you respond when you didn't live up to your aspirations and being honest and vulnerable and saying, You all just saw some of the worst sides of me. You know it's there. saw it. And yeah, you know that's not what I'm really like, but forgive me. That was an overreaction. So,
1: Yeah, I tend to have to apologize a lot. And it's okay with me. And I'm not doing it because I've given myself permission to just say whatever I want to say. It's just that being a human being and in a stressful situation, we just don't respond like we'd like to.
0: Okay. So I got to do a call out there because some folks say that just being your jerk self, whenever you feel like it, that's authenticity. That's not authenticity. Um, That's just being a jerk and not being self-aware. Real authenticity includes and incorporates that vulnerability of being able to say, that's not how I wanted to come across. That's not the best version of me. So let's go back to honor. I just had to touch on a couple of those because I do appreciate it that there is the willingness to say I'm not always living at the level of honor that I want to be living at and leading at
1: right so you know I have been living the way that I live and believing the things that I believe and then my friend Danny Silk he wrote two books one called culture of honor and one called keep your love on and I read those books with my jaw open because it was sort of, he was describing how, you know, I aspire to live,
2: Hmm.
1: be honoring people in every situation and loving people. And those two books, you know, especially for me, Keep Your Love On was the best book I've ever read on relationships. The tagline is connection, communication, and boundaries. Hmm. And so when you read this book, you just get this really amazing, simple view of. How are we to be with people, and so, as we talked through this, he eventually asked me, "Hey, can you help me write a book on business you know and because since I wrote Culture of Honor, I've had all these people asking me, and he didn 't feel like he had the authority to write, and I laughed at him and say, "Well, business is really is all about relationships, and you are a king of relationships, so you do have the authority but we ended up co-authoring the book that I thought I was helping him with. (laughs) And he changed the terms of the deal on me after we shook hands and said, here's how it's really going to go. And so I got thrust from, you know, being sort of this behind the scenes consultant to spending 18 months writing a book when I don't really even write long emails. (laughs) And once it came out, there's been great response both from the business world and from people who don't operate businesses because what this book really is about is your heart Mm -hmm. and so we believe honor means just finding the best part of people god sees people in the future and so you know we're to honor and believe the best in people and so that goes across culture it goes all the way from even what's happening now in politics to to what's happened in business. And this book does start out talking about the difference between two major famous companies, and one that led with honor and one that didn't. And then it's an examination of our heart. Like, how do we really believe and how can we honor?
0: Hmm. Okay, so let's unpack a little of that because there was this... Um... You contrast that there are two basic identities people have. There's the identity of being orphaned, feeling alone, not belonging. And what were the characteristics, the primary characteristics of the orphan identity?
1: I mean, the definition, obviously, we know that an orphan is a person that doesn't have parents. And that orphan, you know, classically will believe that they have to do everything themselves. If you take that down the line and you say, we had a single parent family or two parents working and the parents weren't there for me, people will come to a place of saying, I have to take care of myself. And when you get to that point, and sometimes it hides itself in responsibility. Hey, I'm just responsible, which is what I was. I was just responsible. But I found later in my life that I really believed that I had to take care of myself and that not even God could do it. Mm. Now, here I am, a believer who says, I trust God in all things. But in certain scenarios and situations, I wasn't. And when you, with an orphan identity, when you are trying to control everything, you're not letting God be God. Mm. And so it really is this identity of trying to protect yourself.
0: And you talk about shame? Shame. Mm -hmm. heavy that shame and mistrust
1: right and so shame to me in the thousands of people that I've talked to over my life shame is one of the biggest drivers Mm. shame says not that you did something bad shame says you are bad right and if you've tried to control your life and dealt sort of with this orphan identity shame is a big driver for me you know later in my life Let's say I made a, and I've made plenty of these, a business decision that caused our company to lose money. What's playing on the inside of my head is how could you have been so stupid?
2: Hmm.
1: What's the matter with you? Mm -hmm. You're not a good businessman. As a matter of fact, you don't know what you're doing anywhere. And the shame, you know, compounds on top of that until somehow you can get in your head. The other identity is that I'm a loved child of God. And no matter what I do, I'm still a love child of God. The truth in the situation where I made a bad business decision is I wasn't trying to make a bad business decision. I did the best I could with all the information I knew. Mm -hmm. And you can extrapolate that into any other circumstance, relationally or personally. But once you start playing these messages to yourself that you're bad, it compounds. And so... Part of the journey was for me is understanding through lots and lots of mistakes and lots of counseling over the years that positionally, no matter what happens, I am a loved child of God. And so that sets my leadership skills into a better place, knowing that I'm okay.
0: (laughs) Right, right. For me, a lot of that came from a book a friend of mine recommended a few years ago. What's become one of my favorite books, Brennan Manning's Abba's Child. Yeah. And just recognizing that those things that we want to applaud ourselves for when we're at our best, those don't cause God to love us anymore. And those things that we're ashamed of don't cause God to love us any less. God's love is unchanging for us. That's a liberating thought.
1: It's a liberating thought. And Brennan Manning's, all his whole series. Yeah. Books. I just love, I have them on my shelf. I've read them and reread them. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, he talks a lot about this radical grace, radical trust, radical love. And it's a very freeing, he's a very freeing
0: author. Yes, he is. All right. So I want to come back to business a moment in this, the culture of the business of honor I think we're agreed that relationships are primary and all else is derivative and everything in business and life flows out of relationships. So in the book, you talk about three areas where investments in relationships are vital. We unpack that a moment, and that's the telling the truth, receiving well, serving well. What do those mean and how do those look? Well, it's funny. You know,
1: telling the truth is something that should not be hard, (laughs) but it is. It really is. It shouldn't be hard.
0: What makes it hard?
1: Well, being vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be rejected. You end up hiding or holding back what you really think or feel. You know, sometimes you don't want to take the risk of showing up with your opinion, which was what I was talking about earlier at our executive operations meeting. You know, people show up and they can risk. So you could have a bunch of people protecting themselves and not really get Mm. any right answers. You know, Danny says, recognizing people that are telling the truth builds trust. So if you and I are in a relationship and what you're getting from me is vulnerability and trust, the truth, you're going to trust me more because you know my thoughts and feelings. But if I, you know, put a wall up and begin to sound more political or canned, you're going to say, huh, you know, this doesn't feel like the truth. So receiving well to me means, delegating I've hired I've got people on a team I'm going to delegate I'm going to trust and I'm going to receive you know their feedback from whatever they have researched or are working on and I'm going to recognize that I put these people in this place whether it's at work or in my personal life because I trust them and because I know that when they come with an answer you know it's going to be something that I value. Mm. And so this notion of receiving well is actually listening, mm. listening to listening to the people that you've empowered as your friends or your business partners or your employees or customers or vendors. If we've put these people in place, we've put them in place because we think that they're capable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if we don't listen or receive well from them, then why are they there? Mm. And serving well as a leader, or as a husband, or as a father, or as a friend, or as a pastor, serving well just means, hey, I'm going to meet people's needs. In my business, yes, I'm a painting contractor, but I'm really a service company. Mm -hmm. And what sets me apart is the fact that I want to outserve everybody else on the job. Mm. I don't want to be the reason for delays or disruptions. And so whether you are, are manufacturing widgets or painting buildings or leading a church or a nonprofit organization, we're all serving each other. And I just think that, you know, whether we're providing goods and services, whatever we're doing, we're serving. Ultimately, I believe that everything that I own and have control of is the Lord. So who am I really serving? I'm serving him.
0: So serving well and what you just said then has this stewardship component, recognizing that we are not the owners of anything, Mm -hmm. but it's been entrusted to us. And being entrusted to us, we have a stewardship responsibility to manage it well, use it well, and and use it to serve others. Exactly. Okay.
1: And so as leaders, I know in some faith-based circles, leaders will talk about a bottom-up management style and of a top-down management style. And for me, I am logical and I'm strategic. I can't get my arms around what an org chart would look like from a bottom-up management style. But no matter what you believe, whether you're a top-down or a bottom-up management style, we're here to serve. Yeah. And so as a leader of an organization, whatever that organization is, My primary goal is to serve so that the vision of the organization can be executed.
0: Yeah. So let me talk about that just a moment because I've done a lot of work around servant leadership and I've heard people use the inverted pyramid. And I kind of take that a little bit differently, Bob, rather than flipping the pyramid and saying what's at the top is now at the bottom, right? You said that bottom up. What if we just think at rather than being at the top of the organization? And in the traditional organization, that means everything from the bottom of the organization flows up. When the person at the top of the organization says, I need this, that means everything in the organization stops to get that person what they need, that piece of information. But what if we're sitting at the top and say, rather than everybody else in the organization is here for me, I am here for you. And so what we do is we're not flipping the pyramid upside down, we're flipping the way the flow goes. And rather than everything from the bottom flowing to the top, those at the top, we're here to push everything down so that those at the front line have everything they need to do what they need to do.
1: Kevin, that's brilliant. I mean, you (laughs) just put into words what I was trying to say. Okay. Yes.
0: We haven't flipped the pyramid. We flipped the flow of energy, information, and power in the organization.
1: So it's a heart attitude. Yeah. Yeah. The leader is there to serve. Yeah. And yes, provide vision, direction, clarity, financing, et cetera, et cetera. But his heart is to serve so that the organization can function to execute the vision.
0: Okay, Bob, time's going to get away from us here in just a few moments, but there's a story in the book that's actually integral to us even having this conversation. And I want to invite you to share that with those listening to us at this moment, because I think there's something in here that, for me, it just showed faith in a very different way, where faith wasn't being expressed, you know, in the sleeve at all, but it was coming through. So you talked about it as quiet trust, I believe.
1: In over 40 years of being in business, this has never happened. So this is a <laughs> this is a exceptional <laughs> story. Okay. And a few years ago, we had completed a very large airport and there were some claims and disruptions and payment issues to the tune of, you know, millions of dollars. And We had spent a whole bunch of time putting claim books together, probably, you know, two feet of paper if you stacked it all up and PowerPoint presentation. We were going to meet with the owner and their attorneys and the contractor to try to resolve this. a Wednesday. On Tuesday night, we had our couples group and I got home from work and my wife said, you have to study tonight. And I was like, oh, great. She goes, what are you going to talk about? And I was like, oh, I have something really good. And I went and played, you know, Bible roulette. And, you know, I hit Song of Solomon. Hmm, that's not going to work. And then I hit Revelation. I don't ever understand Revelation. And then, you know, I got to a story in Chronicles where King Jehoshaphat was about to be overtaken by two armies. And the Lord told him, you know, this is how you're going to fight the battle. You're going to sing which doesn't make any sense, Right. but he went out and he got, you know, the Israelites to sing and the two armies got confused and they went to war against each other and wiped each other out. And the Israelites, you know, went down off the mountain and plundered all their valuables. And so as we talked about this story in our couples group, other businessmen started to share, hey, you know, I'm having this problem. And I, of course, shared, look, tomorrow morning, I'm going to do this this big negotiation. And I felt like the Lord told me, look, I just want you to spend the early part of the morning singing. So I texted my team and said, hey, I'll meet you guys halfway up to the job. And so, you know, luckily I have a good stereo in my car and I was able to turn the praise music up so I didn't have to hear my voice. <laughs> and I spent, you know, an hour and a half singing. And during that time period, I felt like the Lord Satan said to me listen when you get to this negotiation i don't want you to say a word which it had to be the lord because in my company i'm really the only one who talks <laughs> i have a bunch of detail people i'm the one with the personality i'm the one who mediates negotiates, you know what uh-huh. and i thought that can't happen there's no possible way this thing can happen but I really felt like that's what I was supposed to do. So when I met my team and all got in the same car, started driving, and they opened their books and said, "Okay, let's start our our meeting prep." I had to say to him, "Hey, look." Say to them, "Hey, look. Here's what happened last night and this morning." And so, you know, essentially, I'm not going to say a word. Well, you can imagine arguments broke out. You can't do that. I mean, how are we supposed to? Da 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 da. And this was completely new territory but I was for whatever reason able to say yeah that's what I'm gonna do and we got to the meeting we went into this big conference room there's about 20 people there and normally there's sort of let's set the table and talk about you know what our each side's issues are and that's normally where I would spend a half an hour talking about setting the table for our claim and they didn't do that they just started talking about details. So for two hours, I just sat and listened to my team go back and forth with their team on details, And it was like a surreal experience. And then their lead negotiator stood up and said, Bob, come into my office. I've heard enough. So I'm following him back to his office and thinking, what am I going to do now? This is going to be interesting. Yeah. This is going to be interesting. You know, I had my portfolio with me with some paper and a pen. So I sat down in front of his desk and he didn't even look at me. He turned and started on a calculator. And without even looking at me, he said, okay, we're going to offer you X. And it wasn't the right offer. So I, I didn't know what else to do. So I just started writing in my portfolio And, you know, he kind of looked at me as I was writing and then he went back to his calculator and he said, okay, all right, listen, I'm ready to offer you, you know, X plus Y, which was getting closer. So I decided, well, I, it worked the first time. So I started writing again. (laughs) And then he said, listen, Bob, this is my final offer. I'm going to offer you X plus Y plus Z. I just looked at him and the offer was good. So I just stuck my hand out and shook his hand. And he said, okay, let's go back to the conference room. I didn't say one word and he raised his offer three times. (laughs) And so he marched us back into the conference room. He said, we have a deal. And he told his team, you know, I want you to execute all these documents. Thank you very much for coming. Shook all of our hands and we were out of there. And so it's a great business story, right? Because the negotiation came out great. But really, God was showing me something personally. He was saying, you know, you think that you, and you are, you are you're a good negotiator. You're a good mediator. You're a, you're a good relationship builder. But I gave you all those things. Mm. And I wanted to show you that I can do things for you, even if you don't ever say a word. Mm. And so for me, what happened was that sort of transcended my whole life. It happened to be a business situation where, where this negotiation went really well. But it was more of, hey, are you going to trust me because this is what I can do for you? And it really did set me on a new course, understanding, you know, the power and the love of the father.
0: Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing. What a fascinating story and pretty unique. I mean, who goes to a negotiation and not say a word and then actually have that negotiation end up in their favor? That's amazing.
1: It really is. And again, like I said, that's never happened before. And But I guess I'm willing if the Lord asked me to do something bizarre, you know, I okay. Hmm. I guess I'm willing. I'll probably fight it like I do everything. But in the end, I submitted to what I thought he was saying and it worked out great. And my team isn't full of a bunch of believers, right? So for me to tell them this is what I think the Lord has told me, You know, they're just looking at me like I'm insane, like I have three eyes. (laughs) So, yeah, it's an amazing testimony to if we trust the Lord, what can
0: happen. So, Bob, before we end this, two more questions. If you could sit down with someone listening right now who's feeling really isolated, alone, disconnected, they're feeling shame. What would you say to them?
1: Well, I've been there and I understand and the thing that i would say is trust your friends and the people that god's put around you with your heart and become vulnerable let them know how you're feeling yes. because so many times when we feel isolated or overwhelmed and fused by things we have not really taken the time to share with someone who's trustworthy yes. and you know i have a small group of friends a handful who I can talk to and who know me because I've spent the time being vulnerable and they have been vulnerable with me and my team at the office I've spent time being vulnerable obviously to a different level but they know me and how I think and so when I tend to get isolated and close my door and stop talking I have people in my life that are like where'd you go why aren't you talking what's happening and to give people who are in business or in any other leadership roles, the courage to go and be a real person and to share what's actually happening in your life that's causing this isolation. You know, that's what I'd share. Obviously, you know, going to the Lord and saying, hey, I'm dealing with this thing. But sometimes, well, at least for me, I need to talk to people with skin who will talk back to me.
2: Mm.
1: And that is probably the main issue that I see in consulting with all the people I talk to. is this isolation and compartmentalization. Mm -hmm. So I just really encourage anyone who is in that place to find a friend and just say, hey, we need to have a cup of coffee. I need to tell you some stuff.
0: Wow. So is there something else you'd like to say, Phil, you need to say that makes our conversation whole for you before we
1: end it? No, I mean, you're such a great interviewer. I You've taken me down the road from my early life to the end. I mean, I think that, again, this, this notion of having the courage to lead. Mm. If everyone was a leader, if it was easy, everyone would be a leader or a business owner. That's what I mean. Yeah. And so it's not easy. It causes stress. Even if the Lord's blessing you and you're busy as all get out, It causes stress. And, you know, conversely, all the way to the other side where business or your organization might not be doing well or your marriage might not be doing well, that causes stress. So um, this leadership stuff is hard and trying to honor is hard. And you shouldn't be surprised if you're feeling stressed because of it. And again, the isolation is the killer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that you and I both know is that when we hear that voice saying, You are alone, you're the only person that's ever experienced this, that's a lie.
1: That's a lie. All of us, and you, and me, and everybody else who I know who is a human being, (laughs) they hear the same voices. They hear the same lies. They hear the same accusations. Hmm. And so, where we begin to get help is being vulnerable and being willing to talk about it with the people that God's put in our life to trust.
0: Mm. Well thanks for talking to us about this today, Bob. Where do people go to get in touch with you or find out more information about the book?
1: Well I have a website. It's bobhasson.com and you can find out about and buy the book on that website. And now being 59 years old I am on social media, Facebook and Instagram and I just found out Twitter from you. Um, And so I'm engaging in social media the best I can. So I'm easy to find in those different ways. The other place you can find Danny's material, you can buy it, keep your love on, on my website, but Danny's website is lovingonpurpose.com. And what you'll find there is just all this great relational connection. And he's got a ton of uh, content. So, I'd recommend that that you could go there too.
0: We'll include those in the show notes, folks. If you want to figure out uh, how to get in touch with Bob on web or social media or Danny, we'll include all of that in the show notes. Thank you, Bob, so much for joining us. Kevin, thank you so much. I trust you found something inspiring and encouraging from this conversation with Bob. I certainly did. I appreciate the authenticity that flows through Bob and the honesty about the struggles he has sometimes actually putting his faith into action when other options would be easier. So how do you see faith showing up and expressing itself through your work or those you work with? Is it upfront only or does it shine through in everything you do or others around you do who profess to be people of faith? Have you encountered people who were very vocal or outward about their faith, but you didn't see it show up in and through the way they did business or did their work? I enjoyed the conversation we had about there not being one right way for faith to show up. But the important point is, if you are a person of faith, that it does show up and shine through. I also love that for Bob, this culture of honor and this faith is expressed through their corporate vision of raising the quality of life for their employees and their families by creating an environment where the individual can reach his or her full potential and be rewarded for that success. That's what that inspires me and encourages me when I see it in action and actually incorporated into the vision and values of organizations. A culture of honor, finally, a culture of honor is characterized by a culture of serving, and I loved how Bob expressed his desire to outserve the other contractors on the job and to be the best subcontractor for those they work with. Maybe for you that means being the best manufacturer, the best leader, boss, or employee in the company. I'm always interested in hearing what lodges in your heart or minds from our conversations. Here's an opportunity to share. Bob and his publishers have generously shared a few copies of the book, The Business of Honor. If you'd like one, email me at kevin at com. Share something from today's conversation that stood out to you, and we'll reward the first five of you to respond with a free copy of the book. Until we connect again, I want to encourage you to live, love, and lead with purpose. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Are you at a crossroads or facing a transition and not confident about what to do now or next? Then you're invited to join Kevin Monroe for a clarity call. Go to kevindemonroe.com clarity and enter for a free call or book right away. That's kevindemonroe.com slash clarity.